welcome to From the Newsroom, the weekly podcast of the Holland Sentinel. I am politics reporter Arpan Lobo, and today I'm joined by managing editor Audra Gamble. And Hello. We, we are back to talk about what happened in New Hampshire uh, this week, just the second stop in the Democratic, well, the overall primary, but really only the Democratic primary at this point. So anyway, uh, I guess we'll get right into it. So, Audra, why why don't we go over the results? Sure, from the yeah. To start, yeah. So, um, we'll we'll recap a little bit um, because the last New Hampshire debate was on a Friday night. So then we didn't podcast about it, so we can kind of revisit that. But we have official vote tallies, and they came out the night that people voted, which was Whoa. so exciting. <laughs> Um, how convenient. I know. Gosh, isn't that wonderful when things work how they should? Um, okay, so just a quick little rundown of um, the vote breakdown in New Hampshire. So um, Senator Bernie Sanders got 25.7% of the vote. Mayor Pete Buttigieg got 24.4%, and they both got nine delegates. Um, so as a quick reminder in New Hampshire... Um, it's a proportional delegate system. However, you have to meet a threshold of 15% of the vote to receive any of the delegates. So um, the last person on the list to get any delegates was um, Senator Amy Klobuchar. She got 19.8% of the vote and six delegates. Um, and then we're getting into the people that did get some votes but don't receive any delegates going into the convention. So um, in fourth place was Senator Elizabeth Warren with a little over 9%. In fifth place was former Vice President Joe Biden with 8.4%. Tom Steyer got 3.6%. Tulsi Gabbard, 3.3%. Andrew Yang, 2.8%. And Deval Patrick, 0.4%. Okay. So um, it's nice to have that clarity, as you said, because, you know, the Iowa caucuses are still not... Right. It was so muddy and and unclear. Right. It's been tough to discern. Um, but we do have some clear results. Uh, Senator Sanders, who won it against Hillary Clinton in 2016, Correct. the New Hampshire primary, he defended his title, obviously, by not... Yeah, this was a much narrower margin. Pro- right. Most likely due to there being several more candidates right, this time. Right. Um, but I- I- interestingly enough, in second and third um, are two kind of late emergers, uh, maybe not late emergers, but... In terms of the moderate role in in this primary, it was kind of assumed from the beginning that, oh, Joe Biden is the moderate candidate right. from the start. And now he's fallen all the way back into fifth overall, and he's uh, He's in some trouble, he's yeah. Finishing, he's finishing behind two other moderates um, in Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg. And so I, th- I think it's interesting that we're getting to this point where it's like, okay, Bernie, Bernie Sanders won, but there's kind of this glut of centrist uh, moderate candidates lining up behind him. Do you think, now let me ask you this, do you think that it's something where these candidates, that shows that maybe people prefer a moderate candidate, or do you think that there isn't any way to discern these candidates from each other, and to whereas Bernie, who is by far the most progressive uh, frontrunner remaining, kind of stands out? Um, Yeah, that is a good question, and, and I kind of wonder if part of the answer to that will have to do with the demographics of the states that we're getting results from. Um, in New Hampshire, you know, New Hampshire and, and Iowa, the first two that we get results from, are often criticized for not being um, representative of, of how diverse America as a nation is. Um, and also 
sometimes criticized for not being as diverse in terms of industry or, um, you know, having concerns about, um, you know, trade deals and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think that it is interesting um, to see Senator Bernie Sanders and Senator Elizabeth Warren so far apart in that point margin. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a much tighter race in terms of, um, you know, Senator Bernie Sanders and Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg, which really are kind of two different pools of voters, which is interesting to see, um, you know, which which group of Democrats is larger at this point in time. Um, so that'll be something that we kind of look at as we get more data from other states that may have um, different concerns than than fairly homogenous states in terms of who's going to the polls. Right. And next up, we have the Nevada caucus. Uh, Nevada caucuses, they are, we're going back to the caucus. They were originally <laughs> going to use the same app that caused all no the, longer caused the debacle <laughs> in Iowa. Thankfully, they have pivoted away from that. Right. They're going to use some other app, but hopefully there are some fail-safes in place. Yeah, we'll see. I really hope we don't have to wait another week um, yeah, for the results. Yeah, for sure. But anyway... Um, but go, go, but go. after Nevada, there will be another primary in South Carolina, South Carolina. that um, Joe Biden is like really putting all of his chips Th- in. That's, that's what I was about to get to, because uh, Monday night in New Hampshire... Uh, or it might have been Tuesday. And, uh, this is a little T- yeah, Tuesday. This is a little blending <laughs> Tuesday night in New Hampshire, uh, Joe Biden wasn't even there. I yeah, mean, he left. He, yeah. he took his ball and ran to South Carolina, which isn't even the next you know, stop. I know, yeah. Uh, everybody else is in Nevada, and he's going to South Carolina. And the reason is um, former Vice President Biden is still polling uh, the highest among uh, black voters. Right. Although that gap has dramatically um, decreased. He used to have a favorable or a large... Um, gap between him and the next closest right. candidate. I was looking at a recent poll uh, nationwide. He's only up four points in terms of uh, black voters over uh, Bernie Sanders, which is that is quite the difference. Some, right, something right. that I didn't see kind of coming. And it, the, his last stand is probably going to be South Carolina because he, if he comes in another kind of poor finish like this, it, it won't bode well going forward. And I think it kind of ruins the whole electability argument that yeah, he's been which, basing his entire campaign I mean, that's around. crazy that we're saying, you know, oh, Joe Biden could be out after South Carolina because early on, you know, before we had any um, real real results from voters, everyone's saying, oh, Joe Biden is, you know, doing the best in all the national polls. He's 20 points up, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're seeing now that we have hard data that that's not necessarily the case and and his far big, from it right his big pitch of well you know i'm the only person on the stage that can go toe-to-toe with donald trump may not be what voters agree with so he can't even go toe-to-toe with pete Buttigieg, <laughs> who he's been slamming for his lack of experience yeah you know? yeah well so well maybe we could talk a little bit about um yeah you know the the um debate that happened just a few days prior to the vote in new hampshire um i thought there was kind of a big tone shift um, from some of the earlier debates and that the gloves seemed to be off a little bit, um, particularly when it came to Pete Buttigieg's record. Um, A lot of the other candidates, you know, really feel the heat of, you know, he did perhaps much better than expected in Iowa when we did end up getting some results. He was polling very high in New Hampshire and and some of the other candidates really went after him. and continuously uh, kind of slammed him for, you know, his his age and lack of national office. 
Yes, and uh, that continued uh, past the debate, too. Uh, the Biden campaign released an ad um, going side-by-side side between... It was a direct attack ad on Mayor Pete um, comparing his accomplishments to the former vice president side-by-side. Side. It was like, oh, Joe Biden was in you know the briefing room when Osama bin Laden, uh, when that raid was authorized. And it was like Pete Buttigieg in- installed sidewalk lights in like the shopping district yeah. in South Bend. I don't... It's, I mean... Joe Biden has has a very lengthy and and storied past in D.C., but I'm not necessarily sure how well um, an attack ad like that will land on the average um, voter, particularly, um, you know, as as we get to states that um, perhaps don't have that, you know, aura of responsibility of, you know, making a big deal out of the primaries because they're the first and whatever. It's it's kind of a more low key situation. I got to be honest, I think most people view the vice presidency as kind of a ceremonial position for the most part in in that they're, you know, they can break a tie in the Senate and that's cool. But, you know, what else do they do in the public eye, whether that's real or not? I think a lot of people have that perception of, well, OK, Joe, you were there, but, you know, you were you were not in the driver's seat. I agree with you, you know. Uh, a lot of Joe Biden's kind of selling point was that, like, oh, President Barack Obama picked me to be his, like, running mate. And while that relationship was very important to both of those men, the the people who came out to vote for Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012 didn't come out because Joe Biden was right. on the team. I'd also like to note that a, a great friendship and partnership is very different than an endorsement. Right, and which Joe, hasn't Right, yet. Joe Biden does not have an endorsement from Barack Obama. He stayed out of this fight, so... Um, you know, that's great to throw his name around as much as you want, but until you have his official seal of approval, I'm not sure how meaningful that is. Let's get back to um, the results in New Hampshire. And uh, we mentioned, you mentioned Amy Klobuchar uh, kind of coming up and finishing third. Right. And that was a surprise to a lot of people, I think myself included. Sure. Um, the new... Uh, <laughs> uh, cough, cough. Arpan has previously slammed Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> In this podcast series. Let let me let me finish my thoughts. Okay. Let me finish my thoughts. You know, third still isn't first. Uh, Sure, that's fair. That's fair. It's very important to note. Um but the new thing that's that's uh been been termed is Clobmentum. Oh man, I hate that term so much. You take the clobe from Klobuchar and the (laughs) the the, you slap that in front of momentum, you get clobmentum. It's a big no for me, guys. That is what happened in New Hampshire. The clobmentum was palpable. Um, she finished in third. She did. But she the did. thing is, I don't even think she expected that success because I was reading that her campaign doesn't really have the infrastructure set up in these other primary states. And this could be a very, you know, because momentum can be very fleeting in these That's campaigns. True. That's true. I mean, true. The, 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 the night of the Iowa caucus, it seemed like Pete Buttigieg had set the world on fire. Right, and it turns right. out. Oh, actually, you know, 6,000 more Iowans voted for Bernie Sanders. It, it, it's a very fleeting uh, concept. And if she can't capitalize on this, it might, you know, end up not being um, anything spectacular in the end. Um, one thing that's worth noting, um, and you mentioned this earlier, New Hampshire is not a very diverse state. Sure. Um, and both Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg are not polling well at all with voters of color. Um, as we get into Nevada, which is a much more diverse state than Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina as well. Uh, I'm sorry. South Carolina is also a very diverse state. Um, 
it'll if she can keep that momentum and Mayor Buttigieg can keep that momentum going, um, then I think it'll it, it'll be a true testament to the staying power of their campaigns. Um, but right now, this is just the first kind of hurdle for them. Sure. Well, so, so two things to note about that. So first of all, um, while Nevada and South Carolina are much more diverse, they are diff- they are diverse in different ways. Right. So um, in Nevada, candidates will be um, trying to garner the Latino vote. And in South Carolina, they're much more interested in the African-American vote. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if there's any difference in, you know, which candidates do well among those different populations. The other thing to note as well, you know, when we're talking about um, Senator Amy Klobuchar's campaign not necessarily having the infrastructure on the ground in in future states or even states, you know, moving more towards Super Tuesday and and that sort of thing. The point of um, Iowa and New Hampshire as being sort of these like gatekeepers um, is that they can, in fact, you know, a good performance in, in either or both of these states can kind of springboard someone's campaign forward, particularly in terms of advertising dollars that they can spend. Um, And it's sort of where you start to see people being weeded out of, you know, if you have a a great showing like Amy Klobuchar did in New Hampshire, that may mean campaign, you know, donations pouring in and that they're able to um, hire people on the ground in states that they may not have had, you know, funding for in the past. Now, whether they're too late is a different conversation, but you also see people that had um, poorer performances in these states really starting to have conversations about, well, you know, how much do we have in the war chest? Can we really move forward? Can we even put people on the ground in these states? And that's what we saw after New Hampshire. We saw people starting to kind of drop out like flies after we, we got the results in some of those campaigns that were more on the fringes of the debate stage or even not even qualifying for those debates. Right, right. Um, it, it'll be important to keep keep that in mind as we go forward. Um, and in terms of we look ahead to Super Tuesday, I think that will be kind of the ultimate decider. Uh, Really, I think that's when things will start to clear up. Because right now, even though though, uh, the Buttigieg and Sanders have had the most success in the first two states, there's still 48 to go, um, and then it'll be very important. You know, we we spoke about Joe Biden kind of having a disappointing outing in New Hampshire, but I will... I think it's also important that we touch on uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who also um, left uh, New Hampshire with zero state delegates. Right. And, uh, that is kind of at, at one point she was polling at, uh, very close to being the front runner um, very early on. This is kind of a real kind of uh, slow down. Of yeah. Her, of her and it's, yeah. It's particularly painful because she's from Massachusetts, which, which, which is, is right next New door. England right. State, yeah. Right. I wanted to ask you, do you think that this is kind of we're getting to really the the she she said that she has no plans of stopping her campaign. Right. That's, that's far out of the question for now. But I wanted to ask you, do you think that this is kind of like a a warning signal for the rest of this campaign? Or do you think that is just, oh, it's New Hampshire and Iowa. That's not where she'll right. shine. That do you think that as we get to the more populated states, maybe the more progressive states like a California, which I know her campaign has kind of circled as right, a big target. Right. Um, do you think she'll succeed more, or do you think that this does not bode well? That's a good question. I I don't know that she necessarily expected to, you know, be in the top two in New Hampshire, but four probably was a little bit well, of a, of a kick. Klobuchar right. has to yeah. be a big shock. Um, you know, she is one of the candidates that um, did have quite a bit of funding going into the first couple of, of states, and she does have, you know, some 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 ground... Um, 
people in in the states coming up. So I think she's okay for a little while longer at least. Um, but if she doesn't have a really good showing, you know, in the next few states in the list, that might be kind of a a, a moment where they do have to assess, um, you know, what what the end point is in terms of um, moving forward. I think too. Um, you're getting to the point of candidates, you know, looking forward to the Democratic convention. Um, you know, whoever does get there is going to need a running mate. They're going to need to start talking about, um, you know, cabinet positions, people for, um, you know, secretary of education and, and for all of those things. They're going to want to, um, you know, seem very put together <laughs> um, and, and having plans particularly after such a, a drawn-out primary process. Um, and I think some of these candidates are going to start thinking, okay, well, you know, if I can't make it forward, then who could I put, you know, my my chips in for that may result in some sort of, you know, White House position come January? Um, I, I don't necessarily know, you know, that, that – Particularly, Senator Warren would be looking for um, a specific cabinet position or something like that. But um, as candidates kind of become clear front runners, those sort of um, you know down ticket positions are, are something that they're going to at least start considering more seriously. Right, and I, I think that, that that's a, a good point. Um, Senator Warren is probably, aside from Senator Sanders, is the most progressive. Um, candidate uh, of those kind of like left in the, in the, on the main stage. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, I was not expecting there to be a 17 point gap between Sanders and Warren. Sure. Um, I thought, uh, one of, one of the concerns, a lot of people, a lot of supporters of each of those candidates had was that the other one was going to take away mm-hmm. its support. And at least in New Hampshire, that wasn't the case. Uh, it seems like for the most part, the people who are going to go out and vote for Bernie Sanders, they're so, going to anyway, yeah, right? It, it didn't seem like you know there were any there were many Warren supporters that broke off or vice versa. Right. Well, that was yeah. Um, you know, some candidates like we said, Joe Biden had already moved on to other states the the night of the the primary in in New Hampshire, but um, Senator Elizabeth Warren did speak for quite a length of time that night, and um, she kind of had this call for unity of you know now is not the time for you know, taking shots at each other. And that was not, not the time for, um, you know, us, us to be divided because that's not going to help come November. And, you know, I know that in the past I've criticized Cory Booker for this moment as like a let's all play nice and kumbaya together moment, but I do miss Cory Booker sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, we loved those moments of cheer. Um, but you know, as things become more divisive, particularly in debates, it is, you know, sometimes a, a reminder from some candidates saying like, all right, you know, the horse race is all fun, but, you know, there there is a point to all of this, you know, circus and, and an end game. Um, and I, gosh, I forget what um, media outlet asked um, Senator Warren, but they said, you know, say you don't make it to the White House and another candidate, you know, on the stage with you right now wants to reach out to you and enact some of your policies because they think they are better suited or, or whatever, and her answer was, that would be awesome. I'd, I'd be stoked, you know, and, um, you know, there, there are moments of, of friction, but you still kind of feel that, that unity that sometimes the candidates remind each other of, of, you know, what the, the real goal is, is, you know, to, to beat their Republican opponent in the fall. Right, right. I think, I think that's, uh, that, that's kind of, sh- that kind of shows where 
the mindset should be. I think that's a that's a good looking ahead by Warren. If if the Democrats want to eventually win the White House, they can't be you know divided in yeah, these ways. Right, sure, right. Um, one candidate we haven't talked about who is really now a full focal point of the not not the focal point, but a focal point, if that makes sense, <laughs> sure, of, sure. of this race is uh, Mike Bloomberg. Right. He is soaring in national polls. He is. You can't do anything in Michigan without seeing one of his ads. This is very true. Um, yeah, you can't. You know, it, it, he's everywhere when it comes to that. His spending is off the charts, um, and he he is selling himself as the guy that can be Donald Trump. You know, he's a former mayor of New York. He's a billionaire with a capital B. His wealth, you know, is, I believe sixty one point nine billion something outrageous. Like must that. be nice. It must be nice, <laughs> but. Um, he he's not doing anything in Iowa, New Hampshire, yeah. and he's really not doing anything in other states besides the Super Tuesday states, right. which Michigan is one of on March tenth, Super Tuesday. What what are your thoughts about kind of his strategy to ignore these early states? Oh man, yeah, you know, that's a good and question. Kind of just like crash the party with this um, kind of Uber spending plan, you know. And he hasn't really introduced any big policy measures. Sure. He's had to defend his actual policy. Uh, right for stop and frisk, born, right? Which is a very controversial and very you know kind of which uh, inequitably targeted people of color and minorities in New York City. Um, and he's kind of had to defend these uh, tasks, but he's not even taking these early states into account. Do you right. think that's a viable strategy? Do you think he can just kind of buy his way to the nomination by targeting these states? I mean, it's certainly a unique strategy. I I don't know. That it's a great idea. Um, you know, there is something to be said for name recognition and, and for heavy advertising, and I do understand that. Um, I, I feel like the risk that he's running, though, is that in general, um, even during presidential election years, primaries have pretty low voter turnouts, somewhere around 15 to 20 percent if you're lucky in a lot of states. Um, so the people that are going out on a primary day are generally pretty politically involved and and well-informed because they're bothering to come out and vote, right? Um, So (laughs) the risk that he's running is, you know, one, um, having so many ads that it becomes annoying to people, um, but he is also running the risk of having a lot of name recognition but not much substance behind that. Uh, you know, when he's not in the debates because of the debate rules and, and then he's not taking donations to meet those rules, um, he's not getting as much, you know, back and forth with other candidates or being pushed on specific policies um, or getting that, you know, national vetting that some of these other candidates are, are going up against and potentially making, you know, them a stronger candidate come the fall if they get there. Um, You know, like you said, gosh, I mean, the only like policy ad that I can think of right off the top of my head from Bloomberg um, is something about how he stands up to the gun lobby. That's the only one that I can like think of off the top of my head. I don't. That doesn't really separate you from the other Democrats. Exactly. (laughs) Like I can't necessarily, you know, just right off the top of my head, you know, identify something unique about his healthcare policy or, you know, something that has been really, really fleshed out in, in several of the democratic debates that he hasn't been a part of. His campaign has had a very, I'll just say odd strategy. Uh, we talked about the ads, but oh also my gosh. Yeah, these, the these, social media, the social posts. media 
not not only the direct posts from like official Mike Bloomberg accounts, right. but now this thing, and this is designed to generate kind of notoriety. Buzz, yeah. You know, there there are you know influencers, mm-hmm. and if you don't know what that means, that's someone with a large following on social media for whatever. Particularly reason. on Instagram, Instagram and Twitter are the big ones, right? Um, but there's this kind of thing going on now, and it's like Mike Bloomberg from like the uh, the official Bloomberg account. They'll DM one of these influencers with between a thousand and ten thousand followers, and says like, "Hey, I'll pay you one hundred and fifty dollars if you you know post about Mike." And it's sure. it's one that's not realistic because most of the when these things happen, there are. Like non-disclosure agreements, like right, right, right. These right. are designed for these, you know, for influencers um, to take a screenshot of this and be like, "Hey, everybody, look at this loser!" Yeah. But it gets his name out there, you know. And I don't know, you know, when I see something like that, I think, "Hey, everybody, look at this loser!" But that doesn't make me want to vote for him. It yeah, doesn't make I, me think of him at all as a legitimate candidate. I mean, I guess when you're, uh, you know, a capital B billionaire, you can kind of throw your money wherever you want. You but... do what you want when you're popping. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I. I can't say that the the average, you know, Instagram user or TikTok watcher is going to, <laughs> you know, see somebody like lip syncing something and and with a Bloomberg logo and think, oh, I really got to get out to the polls. Like, I just I'm not necessarily sure that someone, you know, going on Instagram for like a a, a fashion Instagrammer or like a makeup guru is going to love seeing, you know, Bloomberg content and think, oh, better get in my absentee ballot request. Like, I'm just not sure that that's an effective route, but I guess we'll see. Whatever works, I guess. Yeah. I, um, yeah. It's an interesting um, kind of science experiment. That's for sure. We'll, we'll see. Um, I think Super Tuesday will, will tell, like, like I've been saying, right. um, I, I'm not trying to, you know, draw or harp too much on this, but I think Super Tuesday will be the big um, kind of decider. And that's that, pretty normal. That, yeah, yeah. That, that'll clear things up for everybody. Um, our last couple of points, you know, we've talked a lot about Nevada and uh, South Carolina. Are there anything else that maybe we're missing about those two states? What What could a good performance do for, say, say St. Pete Buttigieg goes into South Carolina? And we'll probably podcast before right, that primary, right. too, because that's not for another two weeks. Um, it's just unique that Biden's already there. Right. Um, <laughs> but what, what, you know, say Pete Buttigieg goes into South Carolina, doesn't win, but say he gets 18, 19% of the vote. Honestly, what I could think, that mean for his campaign? Yeah, I think a second or third place finish in South Carolina would be huge for Mayor Pete. Um, you know, he has had um, all of these stories written about how, you know, he doesn't connect with black voters and polling at like zero percent. Right. It's that, you know, it's, that's yeah. that's that's pretty rough. I mean, you know, that's that's not great press. Um, if he, you know, there's kind of a, a part of this that's like, well, you know, you can lower expectations and then exceed them. And, you know, that's kind of a game that you play as well, where if you know, national media is not expecting him to do very well in South Carolina and then he does. Uh, maybe even like 15 to 18 percent, I think, would still be a win um, to show that there's any traction whatsoever in his campaign with um, non-white voters. Right. And um, um, I, I mean, it is worth saying that even say he gets those percentages, that doesn't necessarily mean that African-American uh, or black voters came out and voted for. Him. Sure. But it, 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 it could. It could. Right. It, it could. But now, I mean, it is a good point that, you know. Historically, there has not been a successful Democratic candidate for the presidency. You can't win the White House without 
votes of people of color. There's just no way, given the demographics of of the Democratic Party. Right, right. And that's that's a very good point. Now, uh, another hypothetical. Joe Biden comes in second. Mm-hmm. Say, say Bernie Sanders wins South Carolina or Bernie Sanders wins Nevada. You can pick either of those states. Sure. Joe Biden comes in second, but there's still, say, a five, six-point gap. What does that tell you about his campaign? Is it something, uh, hey, guys, we're back in second? Right, you know, yeah. Or is it something that, like, wow, even the states you're banking on, I mean, win. second place still sounds salvageable to it's me. better than fourth. Yeah. It's better than fifth. Fourth or fifth, that's, like, a real scary scenario if, if I were you know, looking at, at that from, from his campaign bus. I, I think it will definitely depend, you know, if you were to get second, what that gap is, you know, if it's a huge point difference, that still might be a really big concern. But if it's, if it's closer, that may be, um, you know, still something that, that he can kind of hang his hat on moving forward. Okay. And then the last hypothetical. Now, Bernie Sanders has won the popular vote in both mm-hmm. Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. Pete Buttigieg got more state delegates from Iowa, sure. but more, I think over 6,000 more Iowans voted for Bernie over Pete. Um, no Democratic candidate has ever won the uh, popular vote in the first two states and not gone on to win the nomination, which is something I learned. Now, Bill Clinton didn't win either uh, Iowa or New Hampshire, but two different candidates won. Uh, so he's the I only see. one to have okay. not won either of those and got huh. the eventual nomination. Um if, if, if Bernie Sanders goes and wins Nevada next week, right? What, what what do you think that kind of says about his campaign going forward? Do you think that this kind of – I think people have been waiting for the needle to sure. drop on Bernie. They're saying, oh, he doesn't have as much momentum as 2016. Right. Oh, you know, it, it's, it's played out at this point. He's not resonating with people anymore. Yet he still has the most donors out of every – out of all the candidates, you know, uh, in terms of individual donors. Is this momentum – are people just kind of being naive here waiting for this momentum to stop or, or is – you know, because if Bernie wins Nevada, I think at that point, you know, once is, you know, nice, twice sure. could, can still be anomaly, three times is a trend. Well, you know? yes, I, I do take your point, but I also think that, um, you know, there's a difference between just getting popular vote and I'm not saying just as in it's not important, but the name of the game here right now is delegates and uh, – you know, you can try and run a smart race <laughs> um, and, and you know, put all of your energy into, um, you know, the places with, with the most delegates or, you know, larger cities and, and that kind of thing with larger population um, that have more delegates up for play, um, which seems to be what Mayor Pete is doing. Um, right now, Pete Buttigieg has the most delegates of anyone running because he had more um, in Iowa, and then he and, and Bernie tied in New Hampshire for for nine each. I feel like the um, the concern with you know the the popular vote is not necessarily just contained to how many people come out and vote for Bernie, um, but that the Democratic Party is looking at voter turnout as a whole in these states, especially these early states. It was um, higher in New Hampshire. It, than was, it was higher, uh, right. Um, near 2008 levels. Yeah, which is huge. Um, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that the Democratic Party is looking for to kind of gauge, all right, how motivated are voters this time around? Um, you know, how much energy do we need to put into, you know, rock the vote events and, and that sort of thing moving into the general election? Um, and, and, you know, they may look at... 
um, the voter turnout for Bernie Sanders specifically and think, well, you know, if, if he's the one that's bringing in votes, that's something to consider. Um, and, and that that may bring more people to the polls in November if it happened in, in the spring. Right. It'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on as, yeah. as we as we get further. And last but not least, before we get out of here, um, we got to talk about who we lost. Um, this has been a crowded field. We'll just time. put like in the arms of an angel and playing in the background. And it's only getting smaller. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, we did lose at least, uh, in my opinion, one notable candidate. You know, um, Andrew Yang never really truly broke into that upper echelon of real front runners. But his campaign was interesting and it definitely kind of got farther than I yeah, think a lot of people and he did have some shining moments in some of the debates that were very memorable so it was um, you know he he dropped out of the race pretty early on uh, on the primary night in in New Hampshire and we also lost um, uh, Deval Patrick and Michael Bennett um, who were not polling you know so great either right <laughs> um, so yeah but it, what is interesting is that Andrew Yang dropped out before Tulsi Gabbard Tulsi's just there. <laughs> she's still there. You know, yeah. she's she's doing worse than Tom Steyer, but you know, she's just hanging around. I I don't know what her game plan is because it's not you know she's not in a case where it's like Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren and maybe they're game planning for ma- other states. Sure, she's sure, just maybe still she can on. win her home state of Hawaii. That that won't really Who knows? help her. You know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's yeah. just it's just in terms of Yang's campaign, at least I think he introduced kind of new. Uh, ideas. Yeah, I don't think anybody. Yeah, things had, other people weren't talking about. I don't think anybody about, had a right. grasp on something like universal basic income. Sure. Basic income until he he really started campaigning on it. Right, um, and and he has a, a child that is autistic, and so he would bring up, um, you know, things that might affect, um, uh, you know disabled populations or, um, you know, special education programs or, you know, things that aren't necessarily mainstream topics in, in normal debates. Right. He also spoke a lot about how automation needs to be right now. It's something that's maybe being a negative for jobs in the manufacturing industry, but maybe, uh, he kept, he kept saying that maybe it can be something that can be used as a positive to create more jobs in in this, in this sector. So it's definitely something, um, his he, his voice will be missed, I think, in some I, of the I debates. Think so. Yeah, right. um, he, he was a refreshing change of pace. I think from the from the usual kind of candidates. Right, right. Um, I do want to note as well, just for um, Michiganders, if you um, have been following along and are politically nerdy, just like our pan and I, <laughs> um, you can now request your absentee ballot from your local clerk's office. Um, you know, we're, we're getting really close to, to when Michigan casts their votes. Uh, as a reminder, you have to choose which ballot you want in the state of Michigan. So you, when you go to your clerk's office and fill out the form, you have to choose, um, you want the Democratic ballot or the Republican ballot, or if there's an issue in your municipality um, that you are really passionate about, say you have, you know, a, a, a school board an millage, millage, an or airport a millage, bond millage. Um, cough, cough, park town, but, <laughs> <laughs> but aren't necessarily interested in, um, you know, casting a vote for um, the presidential candidates. You can also ask for um, an independent ballot that will not have um, the primary candidates for the president. So you have to choose one of those three options. Um, there are new laws in Michigan that mean you can request an absentee ballot for absolutely no reason at all. If you just want to stay in your pajamas and vote for home, that's from home. That's cool. Just make sure that you um, get on that and request that absentee ballot ahead of time or register to vote if you're not so that you're all set on March 10th. Right. And uh, now you can uh, you can and at the moment you can cur- still currently go register to vote. 
Correct. request an absentee ballot at a Secretary of State's office, a local clerk's office, or at the county clerk's office. Right. You can do that until February 24th. After February 24th, you have to go to your local clerk. Right. Um, just, so, just so you know. Right. So in the Holland area, you can go to Holland City Hall. You can go to um, the county clerk's office in West Olive if you're headed that way. You could go to Zealand City Hall, wherever your your local clerk is. Um, just take a, a quick stop over there. It should only take, you know, five, ten minutes to fill out the info, and then you guys should all be set for Election Day. All right. And I think on that note, I think we'll get out of here. But anyway, Audra, thank you again. This has been another episode of From the Newsroom with the Holland Sentinel. We'll catch you guys next time.